Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Giant Splash. I'm Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, and today's special guest is a three-time winner of Survivor San Francisco. Well, sort of. I say that because Ron Wotus, who will return as third base coach for the Giants, has survived three managerial changes with the club. Gabe Kapler will be his fourth skipper. That's almost unprecedented in this industry. In fact, I dare say it is. As we record this, Ron is the only coach named to Kapler's staff so far and he's going to be going into his 23rd season on the big league staff, uh, 33rd season in the organization. Hi, Ron. Uh, thanks for joining me. I, I think you've been around so long, you could probably tell Murph where to find everything in the clubhouse, eh? <laughs> Hi, Henry. Good to be with you. You know, I love Murph, and, uh, you know, talking about Murph, he comes in the coach's room quite a bit because there's so much other help now in the clubhouse, and, and uh, we have a lot of fun. We talk about the old times, and it's great to hang out with Murph and uh, talk about uh, the way it used to be in baseball. Well, you're going to get to keep talking about him, and uh, I, I guess just generally, I know you were one of the candidates uh, to interview, uh, apparently over 10 candidates interview for the managerial job. Uh, obviously, Kapler got it. Uh, what was the, uh, the process in terms of you getting rehired as the third base coach? Well, yeah, I went through the process of uh, managing, uh, you know, interviewing for the manager's job, um, and you know that didn't that that didn't come to fruition. Um, and in Farhan with with uh, a guy that uh, he has a strong relationship with, and and Gabe Kapler. So um, through this whole process, um, I knew early on that I wasn't going to be the manager, and Farhan was up front with me from from day one. Um, if I did not get the managing position, that I would be guaranteed a coaching spot on the staff he felt strongly that he wanted to leave all doors open for his manager and himself to to decide on the coaching staff and didn't want to put the manager in on the uncomfortable position so that's how it started off and uh, things kind of progressed from there um and uh so i mean even though you went through the interview process you you kind of knew that it wasn't going to be well, I, I, I didn't know it at that point in time, but, uh, you know, um, early on I was called back, uh, and, and said that I, I wouldn't be coming back for a second round. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the bottom line is, um, you know, I, deep down inside, I felt like, you know, the organization was looking for some change and a new voice and a new direction. And, you know, that's kind of the sense that I got through this whole process. And I understand it. I mean, if I came in in Farhan's position and and new front office people, uh, you know, joining on, you want to you want to make your statement. You want to do things the way you want to do it. And, and you want to have the ability to hire you know, the manager, the coaches, and, and start building uh, your legacy. And, so, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I, I went through the process with hope to getting the job, but, I, you know, in hindsight, looking back, um, that's kind of the way I view it. And had you ever met Kapler before? No, I don't know Gabe. Of course, Matt Hurd just knows uh, Gabe, and, you know, I talked to Matt a lot about him. 
Um, I did speak to him uh, a couple of times before he was named uh, manager of the San Francisco Giants. And, um, you know, when the three finalists were, were aboard, I spoke to two of the three finalists because I just wanted to reach out to them and let them know that um, if they did get the job, that my, uh, you know, my desire was to stay in San Francisco. And I know if I was in their shoes, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to coach that, uh, you know, had been there for 23 years and, and interviewed for the managing job. And maybe they think I'm going to be disgruntled or want to be the manager. And I, I made it clear to both of the two guys that I spoke to that, uh, you know, look, um, you know, I didn't get the job. Um, um, that's okay with me. You know, that's in the past. Uh, I've been in this situation before, but I care about the San Francisco Giants. Um, I, I, I love being here. I have all kinds of relationships and I just want to be part of this thing to help the Giants get back to where they need to be. So I wanted to assure them that I would not be a threat or I wouldn't be somebody that would not be on board and I can work with them as a professional. Um, and, you know, uh, what were your impressions of Cap? I presume you talked to him by phone, or did you come in, in and meet him before you were uh, picked? No, no, by phone. Okay. I, I spoke to him by phone. And what, what, were, what was your just impressions of him by talking to him? Well, very personable guy. I think, you know, since that first conversation I had with him, and, and I've had many, many more since then as he's trying going through the hiring process with coaches and all that, he's been uh, keeping me in the loop, and I think he's very conscientious. I thought he was very personable. Um, he was uh, a guy that really wants to know about the person he's speaking to. So I, I found him to be a very positive guy. And a, and a very uh, outgoing guy and, and, and personable. And, um, you know, so he, he's been real pleasant to deal with. And uh, he's real appreciative of the people that he wants to hire. And he's got a strong opinion of, of what he's trying to build. So, so far, I, I've been very impressed with the way he's going about it. Uh, and, and he's asked your input on certain people, maybe some guys that you know. Absolutely. We talked. We had coffee for an hour one day and we talked several other times and, and, and I talked to him about personnel that I enjoyed. He's talked to me about guys that he likes. Um, he's been asking my thoughts on, on many, many things. And, you know, I'm very appreciative of that as well. You know, as I told him, I just want to help him in any capacity that I can. And one of his big things is he wants the staff to be, you know, he wants it to be a close-knit staff. And just as you work in the clubhouse culture, it's, it's just as important in his mind that the coaches uh, have that same culture of getting along and, and believing in each other and are good teammates. So I think that's extremely positive, and um, he, he's taken it to a level that I've never seen before, and uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. But he's very conscientious in doing the right thing. Uh, you know, he, he was a very uh, controversial choice. You live in the Bay Area, so, I mean, you, you know the story. Um, but I'm not going to ask you about all the controversies that have happened, but I'm just wondering right. if you feel that – as somebody who has a lot of credibility with the fans, with people of San Francisco, that one way you can help him is to um, sort of, uh, you know, advise him a little bit on, uh, you know, what, what Giants fans are like and, uh, you know, maybe support him. I mean, any public support from you would probably help him considerably. Well, I think anytime you sign, you know, you sign up to, to coach or be on board with a new manager or, or a new organization, um, it's important that you are all together. And he's certainly going to get that from me. 
Um, as you said, I, I know there's been a lot of negative talk, and I really think he's going to win over the fans, uh, you know, at the end of the day, because uh, he cares so much. He wants to do the right things. And, uh, you know, the past is the past. And I, I think he's, he's making all the right decisions now as far as trying to put his best staff together. And he addressed what he could address. And I think uh, he'll win over the fans. Now, the bottom line, Henry, as we both know, for not winning games, <laughs> it'll be a little bit tougher. And uh, But as long as we're moving in the right direction, I, I think he's going to be just fine. Okay. Have uh, you had any conversations at all with him and or Farhan um, you know, about the kind of players that might come in? I know you can't name names, but have you, you know, gotten an indication of, of which directions they might be going in? No, I, I haven't. We haven't talked about that at all. Um, I I would anticipate um, that we're going to have uh, a lot of young guys on the team. I think where we're at, if you just as you well know, and the fans know, you look at the situation we're at with the uh, personnel that we have, uh, where our payroll is at. Um, you know, with our minor leagues, I thought Farhan did a great job last year of revamping the minor leagues and bringing in a lot of serviceable players that we can move forward with and, uh, you know, reading between the lines and also going through the interview process. I think, I think young and upcoming players are going to be very important, uh, to the San Francisco giants at this point in time, because of financial restrictions we have, and we're going to need some young guys, um, to fill some of these gaps and hopefully develop them. And, and that's how you build a winner in the long run. So, um, I'm sure we're going to, you know, dip our tone and, and sign some veteran guys and all that. But I think, I think the core is we're going to have to find value. Uh, we're going to have to find some players that uh, maybe aren't the top free agents and try to get the most out of them. Right. It almost sounds like uh, a little bit of a repeat of last year. I mean, the team has a little bit more financial flexibility than it did last year, but I didn't get the impression that Farhan planned to use that flexibility to go out on some crazy spending sprees and, you know, uh, uh, just just fill the team with a bunch of free agents. I've gotten the sense that uh, he's going to continue to look for the next Yastrzemski's and, and Pilar's and whatnot. I mean, is that your sense as well? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think I think he's in a position to do that, you know, and not in a position to do the other, go out on a big spending spree. Now, who knows? You know, we haven't had in, in detailed conversations about it. I, I haven't. But, uh, you know, going through the interview process, as I said, and uh, that's where I, I see us going. And also part of the analytic uh, age is trying to, you know, get players who maybe haven't performed that great and attacking something with their delivery or in their swing where you can improve them and make them better. And I believe, I believe that, you know, Farhan and his staff uh, think that could be a strength of theirs to where they can really find value in players. And that's where they want to bring value to the organization and, and not necessarily spending money on, on large names and big contracts. And again, because we can't name, you can't name names here, but uh, I'm just wondering now that you have a, an analytic-minded manager, maybe, I mean, not that Bochi wasn't, but somebody who's steeped in it a little more, and you've had conversations about the uh, potential coaches. Do you think it's possible we might see some non-traditional coaches added to the staff? And when I say non-traditional, there, there has been a movement to hire uh, people who are, are more on the sort of academic side of analytics. I mean, the Dodgers hired a hitting coach who was the private hitting coach who turned Justin Turner around. 
Um, we've heard a mention of a, the name of a pitching coach candidate who, uh, you know, is now a college pitching coach candidate. Um, do, do you think that there's a possibility that the fans are going to, you know, see some interesting types of people brought in just based on the conversation you've heard more so than, you know, just sort of recycling a, a lot of guys who've been coaches in other organizations? Yeah, as, as you said, Henry, you know, the trend has been that with managers and the trend has been that with coaches, with a lot of organizations in baseball. And yeah, I do see us uh, going in that direction as well. Not that he's looking at, you know, the traditional guys. I mean, Gabe's got, you know, a long list of people. He's been in the game a long time. He's worked with, you know, a number of different people and different organizations. So he has a list of people that he's had his eye on. But I do believe that you will see um, probably see some uh, a coach or two, if not more. I, I I really can't say that is in the category of what you're saying. Maybe right. a, you know a, a non-traditional, an old-school baseball guy, someone more that's uh, been into the analytics or is an up-and-coming coach. And I, I think you know everybody likes youth. You like youth on the on the playing side, and I think uh, and the coaching side too. It, it brings some value as well. So I think that's an accurate statement. How you just described the possible coaches. And just going back to you, uh, you, um, uh, I believe you interviewed for at least a couple other uh, coaching positions uh, around the league. Um, what, was there a time when you thought uh, seriously that uh, it, you might actually be leaving for, for after 33 years in the organization, 32 years in the organization, that you might be working for someone, uh, Cubs, Mets, or whoever it was who talked to you? Yeah, no, no, there was. I, um, you know, my heart was always in San Francisco, and uh, you know, I, deep down inside, I really didn't want to go coach uh, somewhere else. But you know, as David Ross called me and, and wanted me to pursue a bench coach position with them, I, I was trying to wait for us to hire a manager, and I lost that opportunity. And and after I did that, I said to myself, you know, I, you know, why am I doing this? As much as I, I want to remain in San Francisco, I can't, I can't lose these opportunities. So when the Mets called a few days later, um, I went through the process with them. I went to New York and uh, interviewed for their bench coach position, and and quite frankly, it was with you know Carlos Beltran who I knew here, he was in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and Allard Baird I've known over the years who I, I really have a lot of respect for. We had great conversations, and uh, they wanted me to come back for a second round uh, to meet Brody and their front office and analytics department, and it just so happened that by that point, you know, we hired Gabe Kapler, and, and Farhan and I had a, a discussion on that same evening, and we were able to agree on a contract, and I pulled out of the Mets situation. But there was there was about a week there that I thought, you know, maybe it wouldn't happen in San Francisco, and uh, it's possible that I'd be coaching somewhere else. Well, uh, we'd like to talk to you here on the Giant Splash podcast a little bit more about your long career with the Giants, and we'll do that right after this. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Henry Schulman of the San Francisco Chronicle, the Giants beat reporter, back with uh, Giants returning third base coach, Ron Wotus, and as I mentioned a couple of times uh, in the first half of the podcast, uh, 33 years, your 33rd year coming up with one organization, 
uh, and your 22nd consecutive year uh, as a on the big league staff. And and I, I was trying to think back uh, wh who might have uh, also I mean been able to say that through the years. The only name I could come up with, and maybe you have another one. The only name I could come up with is Red Shane Deanst, and I don't even know if he was with the Cardinals for 22 consecutive years. I mean, have you? I know you're the, the first coach in franchise history to be here for two decades uh, at least. Um, I mean, you can you think of anybody else who's done what you've done? Well, you know, I, I haven't really researched it, Henry, or given it a whole a lot of thought as far as the history of it. I have, uh, you know, I my mind goes back to Bob Lillis and how long he was here. And I guess it wasn't that long, but I was a young coach in the minor leagues when he was here and had a chance to rub elbows with him and, and talk to him an awful lot. I remembered when he retired. But I, I only thing I've compared myself to here is currently is coaches that are in the league. And I look at Glenn Hoffman, who was with the Dodgers. You know, we broke in about the same time. We managed against each other in AAA when he was in Albuquerque and I was in Phoenix managing. And now he's still in the major league with the Padres. Of course, it wasn't with one organization. And then the other senior coach that uh, I really look to is Dave McKay over there in Arizona. You know, Tony's uh, Tony's coach, LaRusso's coach for all those year and years. And uh, he really is the senior coach in the league. So those are the only two guys that I kind of uh, – you know, scoured and say, okay, who, who's been doing this a long time? And those are two names that, uh, that that I'm familiar with. Well, I joked about you being a three-time winner of Survivor San Francisco. You you never you don't you never watched Survivor, did you? Were you a Survivor? <laughs> no, I've seen it. I've seen okay, it. I know. wasn't glued to the TV with the popcorn, but I've seen it over the years. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it was I, hot there at the beginning, you know, but I had enough of that at this point in time. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I know this is a better question to ask others, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I mean, what do you think it is about you and your relationships uh, through the years that allowed you to work with uh, – with Dusty Baker and Felipe Alou, uh, Bruce Bochy, uh, and uh, you know, and now Gabe Kapler interested in hiring you. I mean, these are these are four very different people. Yeah, well, I, I think the bottom line is first off, um, you know, I have to credit uh, Brian Sabian for probably the first two changes that I lived through. Um, you know, um, you know, the general manager has the ability uh, to keep people on staff. It's not atypical that you know a new manager comes in and he has all his own coaches I mean a GM can say you know I want Ron Wotus on the staff and in this position but I also understand the other side of it that you know why would a GM do that and and box himself in if the manager wasn't comfortable with it you know a lot of people think the manager should have his own bench coach and he should have his own hitting and pitching coach because those are probably the most important uh, positions for the manager to have his own people now having said that um, it doesn't always go that way so I credit Brian Sabian for wanting to keep me around and uh, giving me that opportunity to talk to Felipe and, and, and talk to Boach uh, on staying. And then, you know, Bobby Evans was there as well, and he continued my contract. So I, I think that's number one uh, and probably the most important part of this thing. And then I think, number two, you like to think the job that you do speaks for yourself. You know, it's very subjective on whether you're a good coach or you're a bad coach. But I believe in coaching makes a difference. I've worked with great coaches. I've worked with not so good coaches. And I think they make a difference on the field. And, you know, we're all responsible for our areas. And you like to think that the job that you do, whether it's developing a young player or, or executing, you know, the defense, um, you like to think that that has something to do with it. And I think in this day and age, 
um, with all the young uh, managers that we're having, I think people like myself that do have the experience and been able to do everything in the game um, as far as being a bench coach, there's a real value to that for to some of these younger people and younger coaches that are coming on the staff. So I, I hope that uh, I can draw on my experience and help our staff, uh, you know, blend the analytics and, and blend everything I've learned over my career uh, to benefit everybody. And, and you really have bought into the analytics, specifically uh, shifting, which I think was your area of, your, of responsibility on the infield, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what kind of transition was that like for you? Because, I mean, you know, you and I are about just about the same age. We, we didn't come up in the age of analytics. Uh, you know, was right. it something that you had to be dragged into feet first, or is it something that you sort of embraced? Oh, I've embraced it. Look, I've always, when I, when I first got to the big leagues in 98, you know, I was managing in the minor leagues and I was friends with Joe Madden and he was the first guy to get a computer. And I, I would keep all these notes, writing things down on all the players we had. And I had these binders that I was carrying around with me. So when I first got to the big leagues, I got a computer to, to get better at what I was doing and have everything in one spot. And then we went from VHS video, watching those to, to defense people, to, you know, to DVDs. And then, you know, things have progressed so much. The point is that I've always tried to find a way to improve at what I've done. And, and in developing, you know, how we set the defense in San Francisco at the video department, you know, I was the one that said we need to plot our starting pitchers in-house against the opposition and we need to have the right-hander separate, the left-hander separate. So, when the analytics came in and we started using, uh, you know, uh, services like Info Solutions and Inside Edge for all this, it was a natural progression because they had better information. Now, the difficult part of all this was getting the players uh, and the manager to buy in. You know, I was kind of left out there on my own island because I believed in it because I'm scrutinizing it. And I know it's the right thing to do. But, you know, the traditional way of thinking, they couldn't understand how you could give up a double play and put three guys on one side of the field and that ball's hit over there. There's, there's still that emotional response. But I will say, our guys, the last couple of years have been much, much better. But it's taken about five years uh, to get them to buy in. And at this point in time, you know, veteran guys like Bumgarner and Samarja, they say, hey, do your thing. And they have total confidence in it. So it took a little bit of, uh, it took a little bit of time to get people to buy in. But, you know, if it starts at the top, and the manager is selling it to the players and explains why we're doing it, which I've tried to do in, in spring training to our guys, it's going to be a much easier transition. And that's what needs to happen with Gabe. He needs, and I'm sure he will, he'll, he'll talk about the analytics, why we're going to do it, why we believe in it, and how this information is going to make us better. And it's going to be a much easier transition when you do that. Well, speaking of technology, one of the big stories in the last week has been the uh, the Houston Astros and allegations that they used electronic uh, devices to steal signs. And, you know, this is not a new story. This, uh, uh, you know, this goes back uh, decades. I mean, I think there were stories back in the uh, 30s about uh, pl uh, people using buzzers to give managers electric shocks if a curveball was right. coming and all that. Um, and I, right. But I'm just wondering, when you heard these revelations, uh, uh, you know, about that particular team, um, I mean, are, has it something you've been suspected before? Is it something you've always watched for? Not just sign stealing, because that's 
part of the game, has been part of the game, always will be part of the game. But uh, have you suspected other teams of maybe going above and beyond and maybe using some technology, which is kind of against the uh, the rules of baseball, to, to try and get an edge? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's been going on since day one, as you mentioned. So I'll give you a, a quick going way back. Tim Flannery, you know, when we first started coaching together, he used to tell me he had a video camera on me coaching third base. So, I mean, that's well, you know, that's a long, long time ago. So we joked about that. You know, everybody was trying to get the edge. People were putting video cameras on the third base coaches to get the sign. Now moving to, you know, 20 years, you know, forward here, talking about the Astros. I've heard those same rumors. You know, we, we, we heard the same things that were going on. It's hard to keep that stuff secret. So I heard the, uh, the trash can story well before it's come out in the press. And, uh, you know, people are going to continue to try to get an edge. And, you know, that's where Major League Baseball is doing everything they can to stop the technology, whether it's coaches using an iWatch on the field or, you know, the iPads having, you know, they can't be online. You know, the the Major League Baseball, the iPads we use in the dugout, they have to be downloaded and they can't be given to you, you know, well before the game. They have to control what's on there. Um, So, no, these things are going to continue to go on now. The old-fashioned way of stealing signs on the field is fine. That's what everybody does. If a coach can see the catcher's sign or the guy at second can see the sign, you relay it. But using technology, that is, uh, you know, that really is out of line. But people are going to continue to try to get the edge to win, and I don't think you're ever going to stop that. Uh, can you? Uh, I guess we'll just limit this to retired players because you don't want to talk. I'm sure you don't want to talk about guys who are still in the game. But are there some players you've had uh, with the Giants over the years who are pretty exceptionally good at uh at stealing signs i mean even in the conventional way um yeah i think you know stealing signs at second base we never did a whole lot of it i I know the teams on the east coach were always relaying signs And, and that's you know there were certain teams that you would play you know the astros being one or going to the east coast where where you know they work hard at relaying signs from second base and uh you know us with the giants we've done a little bit over the years but we really have never taken it to level that some of these other clubs have so there's not a lot of players that that come to mind that were real good at stealing signs now what does come to mind is you know pitchers in the dugout or hitters watching the pitcher in his delivery picking up pitches and, uh, you know, that's not stealing signs, but it's, it's stealing pitches. And, of course, Bonds was one of the best there ever was. Really? You know, he, he'd sit there. Oh, absolutely. He'd watch a pitcher, you know, throw, and he'd, he'd know when the curveball's coming or the change up. And, you know, people, what's he doing, Barry? And, and he wouldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He wouldn't tell you, but he, you don't want you to know. He wanted to go hit his three home runs. Yeah, you just but, uh, you uh, just you know. confirmed. Yeah, you just confirmed a long-standing story that he wouldn't even help teammates with some of these things because he, yeah. Um, well, but yeah, part of me is being facetious. You know, there's times he would he would shrug you off and say, "I ain't gonna tell you, messing with you." And there was times, obviously, he would he would help his teammates as well. And you know, Jeff Kent was good at those things. And you know, there's a lot of pitchers that sit there and watch pitchers and, and pick up the pitches. And uh, you know, one of our best uh, you know. Uh, guys at picking up pitches and things is obviously Rick Shue and and now today with technology and there's so much video this is where people are stealing signs they're not doing it illegally but if you go watch tape on a pitcher 
you can you can see discrepancies in his you know in his in his delivery with different pitches. Maybe he goes up higher with his hands on his curveball than he does his fastball. But by watching a lot of video, that's where you can pick up um, some of these things from the pitchers before you actually play them. And then the hitting coaches, you know, they have that information before you go into the series. So um, it goes on everywhere and all the time. And a lot of it it's done on video. Yeah, you know, I mean, I uh, uh, even this year, one of your own pitchers, Tyler Beatty, uh, I had a source who just sent me uh, two pictures of Beatty, one when he was had his uh, glove flared and one when he had his glove closed, and he said that it, it's a very simple thing. When he had his glove flared, it was going to be a breaking ball, and I brought this to Beatty's attention to ask him if he had ever thought of that, and he hadn't, and uh, apparently he fixed it, and that helped him uh, get through the uh, the last few of his starts, a good example of what we're talking about. Uh, well, I, I just wanted to ask you one more thing, and it kind of goes back to recircle from the beginning. You've you've been in baseball now for uh, more than three decades, uh, and you've had opportunities to interview for managing jobs, and obviously none of them have come to fruition. Um, I'm just wondering what your emotions are about that. If, if bitterness had ever set in, uh, resignation. Um, anger, anything like that. Now that uh, you know, now that you're reaching a point in your career where you know maybe it uh, it could be winding down in the next five or ten years. Yeah. Well, you know what? There was a time that uh, you know I I would shake my head and, and and you know don't understand why I haven't been given an opportunity. But there's only so many jobs, and uh, sure, you know I I wanted to manage, but at this point in my career. You know, the game's changing so much and, you know, you, you realize personally that, you know, it's out of your control. Um, I do think I would have been a heck of a manager in this game. Um, you know, there hasn't been a position or a job in baseball that I feel like I fell on my face and failed on. I thought, you know, people say, well, you know, he doesn't have managing experience, but when you manage in the minor leagues and have success, it does prepare you a lot for the major leagues because you understand what it's like to have the final say on everything. You understand what it's like when a player is upset, it falls on you. You know, people say, well, just communicate. All you have to do is communicate. Well, when you tell the player, when you communicate and you tell him he's not playing and you're the reason he's not playing, it's not as easy as it seems. So, um, you know, I, I thought that I was going to get an opportunity. I thought I would have been very good at it. But at this point in my life, um, I've realized that, uh, you know, there's more important things in life than your professional career. And having said that, my professional career has been fantastic. I, I wouldn't change anything. I love what I do. I've been very fortunate to be here with the Giants going on my 23rd year. They value what I do. And I will continue to do it as, as long as I enjoy it and I, I, the people uh, think I have something to offer. Well, and we will continue to enjoy your presence within the Giants. I look forward to seeing you next time whenever it is, uh, uh, maybe at uh, FanFest, maybe a little bit before that. I want, listen, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I think the fans are going to get a real kick out of this podcast. Well, Henry, it was good being with you, and, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Giant Splash Podcast. Look for more throughout the postseason, including joint podcasts with A's writer Susan Slusser from the Winter Meetings in December. Giants Double Play is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. You can support Giants Double Play and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the Chronicle. 
There are print and digital editions. You can find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Hank Shulman, or you can email me at hshulman at sfchronicle.com.